That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jake, happy October! I know. Pumpkin, pumpkin, pumpkin spice lattes are in the air. There's some of our listeners who are, again, the early bird, getting the worms, and so it's still September for you, but by the end of this week, as it gets closer and closer to Sunday, some of you desperate preachers, it's already October. So that's where we are. Uh, we're nearing the end of the church year, of course, and at the end of November, we're going to head into Advent at the beginning of another church year. So we're kind of winding things down. You, preacher, might be in the middle of stewardship season, your fall fundraising push. You're on fumes. You haven't planned for Christmas yet, even though you meant to. It's going to be another crazy thing about how you do the pageant in COVID times mm-hmm. or whatever you have going on. We know you're stressful. We want to help you out. And so we'll, we'll get right to the chase here with these uh, readings. Unless, uh, Jake, would you like to tell everybody how you're doing? I'm uh, sure. Yes. This is the only reason why I record this show. Um, I'm doing great. I'm feeling fine. Um, need a Good. little lunch. But other, other than that, you know, I'm doing great. Well, I will let our and my parents know are that. my parents are visiting right now. So in real time, or not in real time, but when this episode drops, so right, they'll be with you mm. and uh, having a good time. That's right. Uh, Enjoying a pumpkin well, yeah, spice latte. Ooh! So. If you are listening to this, uh, listeners, uh, I am now forty three years old. Last week, as we were recording, I was forty two. So I will allow belated presents if you want to send them my way. I'm a medium. It's my size and I like blue. Okay. So, uh, let's just jump in here. So, 19th Sunday after Pentecost. This is for for Sunday, October 3rd. As I said last week, we are now beginning two new books in the Old Testament. We are going to be beginning the book of Job and in the New Testament reading, we'll be starting the book of Hebrews the name of every Christian coffee shop ever started mm-hmm. also, that's not named with a Greek name. Sometimes they're like called Koinonia or whatever because the world needs more Christian coffee shops. We all know that. And um, and then, uh, but some also get called Hebrews Cafe. It's always mm-hmm. a, always a it's winner. Also a, and then, it's a beer out here too, a Jewish beer. Is it? Yep, Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, I feel like... <laughs> Why... You don't like pun beer names, Jake? No, I mean, you know, but you can always tell, like, when, um, like, a Christian owns something, you know, they usually put, um, like, a serious... Little fish. Yeah, they, uh, well, not that, but they always name their, you know, heavenly construction or something like that, or, you know, um, they always have uh, some sort of Hebrews or, you know, something yeah. to subtly let you know. There's a, uh, there's an auto detailing place just down the street from me called In God We Trust Auto Detailing, which I think is awesome. It's yeah, great. it's wonderful. Um, Anyways, so when I was, on, yeah, no, 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 it's, it's makes no sense. And we've got a lot of ground to cover. So we've got a lot to do. Okay. Let's, let's jump into job. 
Yeah, so the book, the book of Job, named for a character on Arrested Development. This is one of the oldest books in the Bible. The book of Job, mm-hmm. by some, is considered to be the earliest text, which means the problem and the question of suffering and evil uh, and how do good things happen to bad people and how do bad things happen to good people, that whole thing is, it is like the fundamental theological question that has existed uh, as long as human beings have been monotheists, which we didn't start that way. We had to kind of come around to that through Revelation. But anyways, uh, the um, this question is old. This text is, as I said, one of the oldest in Scripture. And this question exists today. I was just listening to Bo Burnham on a podcast with Pete Holmes uh, talking about his atheism. And this is it's this question that causes him to get off the theist bus. Uh, the whole thing about you know, all the terrible things that happen in the world. Mm. Uh, this And this is where a lot of people sort of say, yeah. check please, like I'm, you know. The, by the way, the reason most people don't believe in God, who don't believe in God, it's either because they're angry at God, um, often a caricature of God that they've been taught, yeah. um, or they just want to do what they want to do, because to believe in God would radically alter their life, uh, and who wants that? Yeah. Um, so, anyways, I'm, I'm getting off topic. I apologize. Jake, did you want to get off topic with me, or should we barrel on ahead? No, I think, uh, you know, I, I agree. I think the, the, the idea of, like, suffering being a reason why not to believe in God has never made sense to me, because the absence of God doesn't make it any better. And yeah, that's um, right. The world is terrible. <laughs> Let's all jump into the void. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, uh, I never, that's never made sense to me, as a matter of fact. And I think that that's one of the great lessons that begins to come out of Job, is that um, uh, uh, suffering is not in vain. But so, what would you... You know, I think you know we open up, and and I I kind of agree with you that this is a this this is a story. Um, it's not uh, like an actual person. You know, it kind of begins there. Once was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and yeah. um, nice. it, it it opens up like a story. And what you see happening here, and he was blameless and upright, one who feared God, which means that he had faith. He had faith in this God who um, carries out promises, you know, and uh, these promises guided and directed him. Um, But then you have this uh, kind of section where it's almost Satan comes into the throne room and they, uh, God and Satan, make a bet on uh, what's up with this guy Job and uh, it's, um, and can we turn him away? And uh, it's really interesting, I think. But what this does show is that in the midst of suffering, God is not absent. Um, he's present in it. Sometimes he's He's the cause of it. And uh, like the psalmist, we can scream out and say, WTH. Uh, but um, but uh, God is in the midst of everything. There's not one section, even Satan coming into the throne room here to cast this bet is um, a testimony that God is actually in control of everything. Yeah, so chapter one, which we just get one verse, the first verse, that's where Satan says the only reason Job is following you is because you give him all this good stuff. And so God gives Satan permission to take it away. And so, but then he still persists in following God. And then uh, in chapter two is where he says, well, yeah, you took away all his stuff and he still follows you because you haven't yet hurt him personally. And so chapter two is where they give him the oozing sores in one of the grosser passages of scripture. Uh, but yeah, it's this, it's this thing like, um, this text is wrestling, as I said, with the idea of like, what's the deal with suffering? Why does it happen? And, and I think 
it's such a mysterious area that the Bible um, says in Lamentations that the, the that God does not willingly afflict the children of men, and yet in the very next verse it says, "Why, O oh God, did you do this thing to us?" So there's this mysterious nature of all that here and. Uh, so, for the 50% of you get, that got super upset when Jake said God causes suffering 60 seconds ago, um, just know that the Bible uses that language. The Bible also says, like I said, the Lord does not willingly afflict the children of men. So, there's the, the Bible is a text where human beings have been revealed infinite truths and are trying to use finite language to talk about it. And sometimes, um, as people who embrace a Savior who's fully God and fully man, we talk about one and three and three and one, we embrace paradox. And so, we kind of have all these things kind of wrapped up together. So, um, uh, we do kind of embrace the mysterious nature of suffering and God's role in it. And I'm, Jake, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I agree with you, but I'm also like backing backing the truck up for people that are not quite there yet. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jake's always been like, I'm the nuance guy. And Jake is like, you should hear our political conversations in the pre-show, like warm-ups. Uh, I'm like, but what about, and Jake's like, no, uh, or yes. So, but that's the, that's the special sauce that makes this show so great. Mm. But, but clearly, and I'm going on way too long here. Clearly, God here is shown in this parable, as you very correctly pointed out, this is a parable. And it's sort of saying, in this question of suffering, let's push all these things to extremes. So, let's give you, give the main character, Job, who's a perfect guy. And let's, let's make, let's imagine heaven is this place where Satan and Yahweh have this like bet about who can turn Job. Um, don't, don't read this and think that this is how God works with you, listener, or mm-hmm. your congregation. That's like, right. Again, this is a parable. This is not how, Satan does not have some like back elevator into the throne room of heaven where he can come and be like, well, what about Susie McFarland yeah. who lives on Main Street? And what, Today you know, I'm so, going to mess with Aaron, you know? Yeah, 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 that's not, this, this is like a thought experiment. Like, what if this happens? And what it's trying to show is a couple things. Um, one, uh, that um, people do think that good behavior gets rewards and bad behavior gets suffering. And that's one of the first things the book of Job wants to explode, which is, and tell the truth, which is that bad things happen to good people all the time and good things happen to quote unquote bad people all the time. Um, But even those categories of good and bad are a little bit suspect. Anyways, what else is this trying to say, Jake? What do you you want to add to this? Well, I would say, and it's important to remember because we're going to be in Job for a couple of weeks, that this is just the setup of the story. And then the rest of Job is this conversation that takes place on, you know, our response to suffering. Is it your fault? Is it God's fault? Who's, you know, who's responsible here? And, uh, and so, this is what's going on in the first chapter, and chapter two um, is the setup for this. And, uh, and yeah, I would say, you know, that is, it is a platonic idea, not a biblical idea, that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, and that we can tell, like, God's favor towards us uh, based on the surrounding things around us. That's a very pagan idea. And uh, what we are going to see is that in this book is that God, um, um, that, qu- that notion is going to be blown out of the water. And, uh, and I yeah. love this. He says, shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? 
And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You know, I, the idea here is um, he didn't uh, curse God. Um, but um, it's not to say that crazy things aren't going to test your faith. But this is what makes him a man blameless and upright, is that he trusts that the, the promise of God is true, uh, that God will save him. And, uh, and that is... In the midst of it all, sometimes that's all we have to cling to is the promise of a of the gospel, that Jesus right. has come into the world to save you. You were never not you were never promised like a perfect life, uh, that is for sure. Um, and uh, but you are promised salvation, and you are mm. promised ultimately deliverance, not from your current situation, but from death itself. And so these are the these are the questions and our reactions that are going to be explored in the book of Job to suffering and pain. I, yeah, and, and I want to say just two more quick things. One is Job's reaction in verse eight of chapter two. Mm -hmm. He's covered with sores, and yeah. his reaction is to take a piece of broken pottery, kind of with a sharp edge to it, and scrape his sores and to sit among the ashes. And what this is, it's an ancient way of Repentance. entering into your grief repenting and being honest about your situation. And there's so many people today that when they're going through a really hard time, we lie mm, about that's it. That's good. We cover it up. We lie to ourselves about it. We like embrace denial as quickly as possible. We don't even speak truth to ourselves of what's actually happening. Mm. We kind of stuff our suffering down to our toes and we don't let anybody else into it either. And, uh, uh, you know, as, um, it's Pink Floyd quotes, is it Dylan Thomas or, anyway, but, you know, quiet desperation is the English way. Mm. Um, but that is the human way many times. But, but Job is open about it and he embraces it. There's something about, you know, you got to feel it to heal it. Like, mm. um, you, you got to get into it. Um, and Christian community at its best should be a place where people who are suffering like Job can be honest and open and real about it. As opposed to hiding it under a veneer of mm. Target fashions or whatever, you know, whatever mm -hmm. your veneer is. Maybe it's maybe you're a J Press guy or whatever, but um, don't don't hide. And then, you know, the last line is such a zinger. And it says that what it says, shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? This is saying that Job's wife apparently thinks that God only works in the good. Mm -hmm. Christians believe that God works in the bad. Um, and we'll leave the question of causation aside for mm -hmm. now, because the book itself actually doesn't really address it ultimately. Um, or le yeah, it kind of, anyway, we'll get to it. But um, Christians, if you're, if you're people of the cross, we have to affirm that God works in the bad because he was working on the cross. Like, we are people of Good Friday. We're people of Easter mm -hmm. Sunday, but we're also people of Good Friday. So, I think that's what this is, that's one of the things this is saying. So, you're not, a, if you're suffering, it doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. That's right. Which can be a word of grace to some people. Mm -hmm. All right. So, moving on to Hebrews chapter one. Uh, as we talked about in our uh, pregame plan here, this is a sermon. It's written down as a book, but it wasn't originally written as a letter. It talks all the time uh, the writer does not say, I write this to you, but it, it, it references speaking. This is, I say to you, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, this is considered by many, many people to be a uh, scholars who are much smarter than Jake or I put together. Um, these are, this is an early sermon in the church written down and then circulated as a letter to people. Yep. And it is written to people, and the big question is, who is Jesus? Um the church took a long time to kind of try to figure that out because a lot of people were like, well, he's a prophet, great guy, magical powers, 
fully human and a prophet, and that's it, full stop. Uh, and other people said, well, he was really God, but God could never be a human being because that's awful. Um, flesh is disgusting and gross, and how could God have a belly button? It's the worst. So, he must have just appeared human, or maybe he was like an angel that sort of looked like a person. Uh, he's like Michael Landon, basically. Um, remember Highway <laughs> yeah, to Heaven in the 80s? Wonderful show. Um, yeah, angel with a mullet that's exactly how it should be mm -hmm. uh, just lustrous curly brown hair so um this uh the, the 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 text of hebrews is trying to tell you who jesus is and basically saying jesus is god it, that's the that's the main idea of yeah. hebrews and that god saves us god in jesus saves us by his sacrifice on the mm -hmm. cross fully and totally yeah. that's kind of the main idea but we're sort of setting it up here there's the stuff about angels and it's kind yeah, of hard um, to get into but well, basically jesus is the boss. So yeah, exactly. This is a sermon on Psalm 110. Um, and uh, essentially, you're absolutely right. You have two chapters here, chapter one and chapter two, which are doing dealing with two very important themes. And, uh, and this is to a Jewish congregation, and this is a testimony to its earlier authorship. Um, uh, because of the way he speaks about the temple and the way he speaks about yeah. certain things like sacrifices, it's clear that um, this is still happening, you know, and so, um, and all of a sudden, you know, Christian worship is around a table with a little bread and wine, and, you know, people are wanting something earthy and something tangible. And so, but uh, Jesus, and this whole, there's a, there's a whole idea here about how, like, um, you know, a high Christology didn't come around till much later, but you see right from the beginning, I mean, these people believed Jesus is Lord. So, chapter one is all about uh, connecting Jesus to God. And so, you see mm -hmm. right in the opening, it's one of my favorite, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, and uh, you know, all of our end time friends, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years since the ascension. He's spoken to us by a son, uh, you know, who ha whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. So the idea here is, is you are, he is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. You are getting the full, you want to know who God is? You're getting the full picture of who God is in Jesus Christ. And uh, what did he actually do? Well, he made purification for our sins. So, a high view of atonement here as well, this atonement language. And then you begin to move... Um uh, you begin to move into chapter two, where uh, God uh, connects, uh, where, where the writer here connects Jesus to humanity. You know, uh, he's making, a, uh, made him a little lower than angels, you know. Um, yep. And so, there's the connection to Jesus' humanity. So, you have Jesus, and this is where we get this doctrine, he is fully God and fully man. Um, I, yep. I remember when I was doing uh, uh, my um, internship, at uh, CPE internship at the Pittsburgh VA, and uh, I went in to visit, um, I went in to visit a, a, a guy who was um, a, a military chaplain for a number of years. And anyway, so I walked in with my collar, and he kind of sighed, and he looked at me, and he, was, <laughs> and he goes, he goes, Jesus, fully God or fully man? And I said, both. And he goes, all right, come on in. You can talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, you have to know that this was the debate that was going on in the early church um, for actually a few centuries about the identity of Christ. Um, it's still if going you don't on. Know that, and it's still going, absolutely. And if you don't um, 
get that. This passage makes, uh, it, it, it seems like it's coming out of the blue. Yeah. Verse 4 in chapter 1, it says, In Jesus have become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And people are like, what? why is he talking about angels? We, we never talk about angels in the church. But, but when you know that the debate in the early church was, was Jesus God? Was Jesus man? Maybe he was like an angel that took on human appearance or something like that. If you know that that is the question that's circling in the church, then you understand why the author begins by saying Jesus is the one through whom all things were created. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's ruling with God the Father in heaven, and he's better than the angels. Now you know why he wants to address that question, because some people are trying to say that Jesus is some kind of angel. And then he get, he continues to go more and more into it. Uh, kind of about just quoting some uh, scripture here about angels and human beings and kind of getting all into this. But ultimately, his point is to say, Jesus is not an angel. He's a different being. He is God. And that through him uh, and through his suffering, uh, he has tasted death for everyone that we might uh, be saved. Hmm. And that's kind of his point here. So, if you want to get tie this into the, the Job passage, which is about suffering and God working in suffering and the whole question of suffering, here we again see this theme of suffering and saying, showing us that God has done this impossible thing. Because that, and this is why there's a question about Jesus' identity. How could Jesus be God if he suffers? God can't suffer. God can't bleed. God can't go through pain. Mm. God certainly can't die. Uh, because God is about being a perfect heavenly being with flowing hair and giving rewards to other perfect human beings. Mm -hmm. um, but in Jesus, we get a picture of God who suffers, who suffers like a criminal, who suffers like a lawbreaker, who suffers like us and dies. And if that's the case, then it means that God works in and through suffering. And that's how we are mm -hmm. saved. And that's why, again, in verse 11 of chapter 2, he can say that we are brothers and sisters. Yeah. Um, because we sh Jesus has suffered with us and for us and is suffering with and for us now. And ultimately, it's in that suffering that he demonstrates his, his profound love for us. And, um, mm -hmm. uh, God, you know, to speak of the love of God apart from the suffering Christ is, is an abstraction. You know, this is, this is mm. the God, you know, I mean, you think about the things that you really, really love. Um, you will suffer for them. Um, you'll go great lengths for them. And this is, this is how God demonstrates his love for us. And so, yeah. uh, and to bring us, you know, in that su perfect suffering, uh, uh, that we might, you know, be one people. There's and a I, quote from Brene. Oh, oh, go ahead. No, there's just this great line. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, mm -hmm. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. This is a reference back to the high priest. And, you know, um, the high priest was oftentimes ashamed of his people. Uh, the high priest mm -hmm. was the one. And this is a very powerful reference. I mean, God himself is not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister. Um, and mm. that is just, that is a profound gospel truth. This passage is just loaded with uh, love and beauty and wonder. Yeah, and I, I was just going to say there's a quote from Brene Brown who has written and talked about, uh, if you don't know who Brene Brown, she's a Houston-based researcher on shame. She calls herself a storyteller and a Texan and a researcher. And, um, you know, she's been on Oprah and all that. She has like a million podcasts. She's super, she's one of those thought leaders today. Um, like us. But yeah, like, like Jake. And, um, I keep waiting for Oprah's call. It hasn't, hasn't come yet, but I'm, I'm not giving up. I'll check my spam. But, uh, <laughs> she, uh, 
she talks about, you know, just kind of walking away from the church and then coming back to it, into the Episcopal Church, actually, uh, as an adult. And she said, you know, she tried visiting other churches, and she, the problem was she said there wasn't enough blood on the floor. But if, but in a, a church has to deal with suffering, the reality of suffering. And just to your point, like if, if God can't be in suffering, and if your faith doesn't address the reality of suffering, what's the point? Mm. Uh, you've just, it's, it's just a motivational speaker, like a, you know, just yeah. a, uh, you know, little Miss Sunshine kind of situation. So, uh, I think, and and preachers, if you are preaching on this passage, you want to begin with finding some hook into the reality of suffering that everybody's going through right now. Um, this, there's this myth that once you have some milestone, you will stop suffering. Um, once you get the job, once you have the kid, once you get the wedding ring, once you uh, reach a certain number of followers once the book gets published or once the uh, the church reaches whatever level of growth or once you retire or whatever. Um, but life is suffering. Mm-hmm. And to quote the Dread Pirate Roberts, life is pain, highness. And so there's, you want to acknowledge that, uh, I think at the top of your sermon, if you're talking about this, because you will have everybody paying attention if you speak honestly about the suffering that's going on in our, in, our, in people's lives. And don't make it about big issues out there. I mean, those are real and true, but talk about what's going on in the pews. I mean, don't name names or anything. Don't give any identifying details. But then you can connect with people and say, look, um, uh, Jesus Christ is with you in that. Yeah. Uh, he's tasted death for you. He's, he's drunk that cup already for you. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Mark chapter 10, everybody's favorite topic, divorce. By the way, <laughs> this is the one passage that, when every year when this is read or whatever, which one of the synoptic gospels are going through that has this passage in it, I just get nervous and there's always, you know, about 70% of the congregation who is divorced or is the child of a divorced parent who, like, I can't even look at. Like, I'm just like, hmm, I'm just just so deeply engrossed in my bulletin as this passage is read. Uh, because it's the one where Jesus has this hard teaching on divorce and you know, if, if a man divorces his wife and marries another, he commits adultery. And if she divorces, she commits adultery. Mm. And so, Jake, help us. Untangle this knot. Well, there's uh, so much to be said here. Um, basically, uh, you have Jesus and the Pharisees come and, and, and to test him. And, uh, you know, are you really, uh, are you really um, uplifting, uplifting the law, uplifting Moses? And, um, and that's right, because it's important to note that they don't actually care about the answer. Yeah. They are not really asking. They think they already know. Yeah. So, and that's so, why he answers the way he does. And he says, well, what did Moses command you? And they're like, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce, you know. And uh, Jesus is like, because of your hardness of heart. And so, what had happened was, is that essentially, you got to understand the background here, is that Moses, yeah, he allows this loophole into the law. And uh, the problem, it's always been one of the problems with Judaism, is that it stops at Moses. Um, you know, it, it rarely ventures past that. Hence, uh, Paul's point in Romans, you know, uh, the covenant, the Sinai co- covenant never nullified the Abrahamic covenant. And you got this whole thing before. Uh, marriage was not Moses's institution is basically what Jesus is saying here. Marriage is God's institution that has been um, instituted into the creation uh, between a man and a woman. And so, and you created this loophole. And so, what essentially was happening was, is that uh, 
man um, could basically just divorce his wife if the meat was too salty. And, uh, and they had developed this whole school of thought on to, to really simplify divorcing your wife. And what would happen to a divorced woman is, uh, well, um, there wasn't like, you know, dating apps after that. I mean, you, can't, you didn't go home. You became destitute and a prostitute. And so what Jesus is doing right here is he is, um, he's one, putting men and women back on equal playing ground, you know, so, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Uh, so he goes on and he says, so whoever divorces his wife and marries commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And so they're both put at the same playing field here. And, um, and what he is doing here is um, he is taking, um, once again, Jesus is taking the law to its highest pitch beyond Moses. This is God's creation. Uh, this is God's institution. And, um, and so you're both adulterers. Now, um, this is a very, you got to understand how heavy the law is in order to understand how wonderful grace is, especially you preachers. I mean, some of you are probably divorced. Uh, some of you, some of you are um, going to be preaching to a lot of divorced people, and this is a tough text. Um, but this is, this is, and I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm going somewhere, is that um, when it comes to marriage and remarriage and things like that, like you and I both were talking about this before the show, um, I've only not I've only not married a couple of people, and uh, one was a person. Clearly, it was like his fourth marriage, and he could have given a rip, and there was no remorse there. And very rarely, though, have I met a couple who've been like divorced, and uh, there's not a lot of remorse. There's not a dead body in the corner that the law has already killed. And so, you know, this is, this is the thing. Um, no one's standing justified because they're married or not married before God. And um, usually when you go through a divorce, you go through a real death, a real pain, and there's a wound there. And so and this is why the next scene is so important in Mark's gospel. He's not about to leave you there as an adulterer, but he's going to then... Uh, children come, and we're coming not because we're innocent, but we're coming to Jesus in faith because we're people in need. And the kingdom of heaven is going to be filled with adulterers. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is going to be filled with sinners who've been forgiven and have reached out to Jesus in desperation and uh, just longing for a touch, longing for a word of forgiveness in the midst of our suffering. And that's the word we're given. And I think, yeah, the, the, the thing here that Jesus is doing, um, he is talking to people who think that God is an accountant Mm -hmm. and who are worried about how do, how do I get the tax deduction? Mm -hmm. Uh, what's the loophole and what kind of accounting tricks can I use to get into heaven? Basically, this is like, how can I do a, how can I do a pretty terrible thing, which is divorce a woman? but do it in a way where I'm off the hook. Yeah. And Jesus says, no, everybody's on the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's saying the reason why is because you're you're trying to read the fine print of the end user license agreement and find some sort of um, way to kind of wiggle out of your commitments that you've made. But the reason why this is, a, you know, this this worried about when is it okay or not okay, this sort of very human thing to do, like when am I allowed to do this and when am I not allowed to do that and all these sorts of things. Um, he says, you've missed the big point. And he's he's using 
language which we find sort of shaming today to say, you know, you commit adultery. That's a very shaming thing to say, and a lot of people feel very uncomfortable and understand. But what Jesus is saying, if we could kind of translate it into language today, saying if you divorce someone and you remarry, that first marriage doesn't just magically disappear because you've got a legal document where a judge has said that the marriage has been dissolved. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, if there are children involved, but even if they're not, there are, this person is still a huge part of your life and a person who's connected to your heart and your memories and that stuff gets into your body. And so just because you've remarried doesn't mean the first marriage ceased to exist um, in some sense. And you will continue to carry some of those experiences, that quote-unquote baggage with you. Uh, that'll absolutely impact how you deal with your your current spouse, your, your past relationship, mm-hmm. the highs and lows. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be in the kitchen, we'll be in the bedroom, we'll be in the dining room, we'll be in the whole thing and how you do your holidays. And so what Jesus is saying is you've missed the point here. Right. Um, if you divorce and remarry... Um, it doesn't just make it all go away. It's not as simple as that. And and there's a real bond that happens in a marriage uh, that, again, is not dissoluble. It's indissoluble. Um, so this is, and, and I think I, the other thing I want to say here is that Jesus, by the way, in the Sermon on the Mount, says that everybody is, quote, unquote, an adulterer. Everybody is, quote, unquote, a murderer. Everybody breaks all the rules all the time. Divorced people are not a special category of human beings that are worse than others. Um, Married people who never get divorced are not better than others. Everybody is a human being and everybody breaks the rules because we don't love God and we don't love other people um, as ourselves, including our spouses, uh, ex-spouses and current spouses. And so, I think there's, there's, um, as Jesus says, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at someone lustfully, you've committed adultery. So, so the, the ground is level um, and this is, and Jesus is speaking specifically to people that are trying to think that the ground is not level, that there's a superior class of people who if they you know, uh, fill out the forms correctly, they can get into heaven um, ahead of other people. So, that's kind of all the context here well, that I think is important in this text. And when you wrap it up by going to the children, remember it's about need, and that that kind of connects to the collect of the day, which is really amazing. You know, you're always more ready to hear than we to pray. And oftentimes, it's because we're so busy looking for the loophole to justify ourselves that we miss we miss the prayer and give more than we either desire or deserve. Uh, but this is what our God does, this God who's fully, this is what Jesus does, who's fully God and fully man. He pours upon us the abundance of his mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ our Savior. And, uh, you know, and that is, um, that is where, um, that is ultimately what Jesus is getting at. Uh, there's, there's, there's no wiggle room for you before the law. You will not find a friend in the law because uh, the mm. law is total. Um, but you do have a friend in Jesus. And in there, the law is totally fulfilled and you are completely and totally forgiven. And uh, I think, you know, if you do preach on this passage, just be sensitive, preachers, to the mm. fact that there are people in your congregation that are going through a divorce right now. Yep. And will yep. f- and will feel judged. horribly shamed and judged by this reading. There are people who have gotten divorced because they were in a domestic abuse situation, uh, and um, it's just important when you preach to to 
note those things and um, just proceed with sensitivity and love um, if you want to preach this text. And basically, and as I said, make sure that you know that it's uh, first century language of talking about the reality of uh, the human heart in romantic relationships as those relationships get broken and how those things continue in our lives. And Jesus is saying we all have need and we all need to come as little children, which is not to say I was justified or not justified and I had these reasons or those reasons or whatever, but just to say I am a human being who's a sufferer and who is in need. And um, Save and, me. And come, yeah, save me. Like those little children say who, who they're not, they're just brought and he blesses them and they don't have anything to bring to the table. Um, and that's the message. So I hope we did justice to that a lot, little bit of a longer episode, but some deep stuff as we begin some new texts that are all sort of complicated and, um, but God bless you as you preach, uh, uh, folks, these, these challenging passages that you can bring a word of grace to, to suffering sinners. Indeed. God bless you all. Somebody's looking, somebody cares, somebody Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.